Digital healthcare and telemedicine in particular present tremendous opportunities for healthcare providers, plan administrators, and patients. More efficient service delivery and cost savings are achievable, but there are also administrative and legal considerations that need to be addressed. We've assembled a Jones Day panel to talk about these issues. I'm Karina Van Vliet. You're listening to Jones Day Talks Healthcare. Today's focus is on employers, providers, and telemedicine. Welcome to Jones Day Talks Healthcare. With us today, we have Alexis Gilroy. Based in Jones Day's Washington office, she advises on complex transactional and health regulatory issues with an emphasis on virtual health methods, including telemedicine. Todd Kelly is a Jones Day partner in Dallas. He has worked with institutional healthcare clients on transactional and regulatory matters in Texas and nationally for more than 20 years. And Courtney Carroll is a Jones Day associate, also in Dallas, who advises healthcare providers on regulatory, compliance, and transactional matters. Thanks to all of you. Let's go to Courtney first. Talk about some of the issues employers need to consider when they're thinking about introducing a digital health component to their employee health plans for the first time. One of the things that we often see employers are interested in this, it's exciting, it's the shiny new object in technology and healthcare that employers want to provide to their employees. But one of the key factors to consider is, are we offering this to you as a benefit in and of itself? In other words, it's convenient to be able to see a doctor using your smartphone. Or are we offering this as a way of providing benefits? We have to provide you with healthcare. We're going to do it through this telemedicine vehicle and maybe even reduce the opportunities that you have or discourage you at times from using emergency rooms instead of a telemedicine platform. What kind of advice would you give an employer who is just getting started in the digital space? What we recommend to employers who are looking into this is identify the problem that they want to fix first instead of just saying, well, everyone's doing it, and so I want to offer telemedicine to my employees. What is it that you want to resolve by offering telemedicine? Is it that you have really high emergency room utilization in your employee population for things that perhaps aren't really emergencies? Or do you maybe have a large population with diabetes who needs assistance in case management? If you can identify what it is that is the issue, then you can build a telemedicine platform and package and program around that. What are some of your observations with respect to how employees are responding to the introduction of a digital health plan? We have seen, in some instances, fairly low utilization rates by employees of telemedicine, and I think perhaps part of that is because it's still a new technology that people are getting used to. But I also think it's in part because the models and the programming and education around the models has not been tailored to the specific needs that employers are seeing in their employee population. What kind of guidance would you give to an employer who's considering introducing a telemedicine option? So if you're an employer considering offering this, stop and think, look at your claims data if you're self-insured, look at what it is that you're trying to correct for, and then we can discuss what the best telemedicine solution is. Thanks, Courtney. Let's go over to Alexis Gilroy. What are some of the important touch points to consider in terms of a telemedicine program? There's two ways to look at these. There's sort of the, the legal nuts and bolts, right, that you need to think about. I mean, this is a standard vendor contract. 
And then there's some practical considerations, which will really, I think, expand upon some of the points that Courtney raised just a moment ago. On the the nuts and bolts on the legal side, this seems like something that's a given, but it's actually really important to understand who are the parties to this contract? Is it some sort of broker who isn't actually going to be directly providing the service or even managing the entities that are providing the service? Are the actual professional organizations, party, or any way affiliated with the contract? That's important to understand and think through if they're not, well, should they be? Because you may not be getting some of the representations or the, the liability protections that you may think you're getting if you, know, you don't have all the parties that should be part of the contract. Let's talk about managing a program's data for business purposes. If part of your goal as an employer is to understand how the program is being utilized, you know, whether or not it actually is leading to better health of your employee population or, you know, more value-oriented choices for the types of care they're seeking, then you need to develop provisions within your contract that will enable you to get data appropriately consistent with HIPAA and other applicable requirements so that you will be able to evaluate those metrics for your organization. What other things should companies consider when they're thinking about implementing telemedicine? A number of the companies in this space are still quite young in their development, not all of them. You know, do a healthy level of diligence, understand who they are, what sorts of security provisions have they made available, do a bit of diligence just to understand and and give you some comfort that they can actually pull off what they're saying they can do in the contract. Also, on the practical side, you know, Courtney raised some really important points just to understand why a particular program makes sense for your organization. And here, I think you want to marry that up with the contract, right? If it's it's all about utilization, perhaps you want to think about some thoughtful utilization metrics or how that the payment arrangements in the contract itself will help drive utilization. How does the education or the marketing elements of the program, who will do that so that employees will actually use them? So I think those are all some some practical considerations. We haven't yet talked about the convenience of telemedicine. One of the nice benefits to telemedicine and digital health generally is that geography really doesn't matter anymore. You can you know, be on vacation in Disney World, and if your kid has a cold, perhaps still make available the telehealth platform that your employer offers for your family. But your employer needs to understand whether or not that service is going to be available in a broad area. Is that your intent? If it's not, well, you know, maybe this doesn't matter. But oftentimes, it's very important for employees to have these programs available in a variety of jurisdictions. So it's another practical consideration as you look to contract. Let's go over to Todd Kelly. Could you tell us about the perspective of the healthcare providers, the doctors, the nurses, et cetera, when it comes to digital healthcare? Now, this is a big opportunity. It's big business and it's a big opportunity for healthcare providers because they have so many of the resources and assets already in place. So where our uh, healthcare provider clients and the industry generally, uh, the way they conduct this business is more often than not, they're going to need a technology service provider to implement a technology or telehealth platform. So they'll outsource that to a third party 
And then many providers will be offering this service, of course, directly to their workforce and their uh, patient base and the community that they work in. So while they may have an employed physician workforce, they're going to need backup coverage uh, for the professional service. That means that if you need the technology platform and you need the physician coverage, you're likely to need two agreements. And I'll briefly uh, outline what those are. But I think the watch phrase here is protect your assets. The healthcare provider is going to have a brand. They're going to be known in their communities. They're going to be known for providing high quality service. And they have to be cognizant of that, as you'd expect them to, and protect that brand and protect those assets throughout the process. You mentioned that there are two agreements. Can you explain those to us? A software as a service agreement, SAAS, software as a service to implement the technology platform, and a professional services agreement to get that licensed professional, physician, mid-level provider, nurse practitioner, that sort of thing, coverage for the actual telehealth and telemedicine. Quickly, to implement that uh, technology platform, as I mentioned, you want to protect your brand, so you want that baby to function, uh, to function correctly. Lots of uptime, minimized downtime, backup coverage, training, all of those sorts of things, the support function which you'd expect. And ordinarily, you'd get with it a branded mobile app, of course. We've been talking about telehealth and telemedicine, mHealth. All of that goes into the mobile device and the mobile platform. Those two things are treated together under the software as a service agreement. I mentioned the training and support. I started out with the watchwords of uh, protecting your assets. So there'll be more general commercial terms like insurance and indemnity and integrating with your electronic medical record. Can you talk about the professional services agreement that you mentioned earlier? Highlights there, which I think we'll probably touch on a little bit more later, go to the credentialing and qualifications of the healthcare service providers that are going to be working in your technology platform that is providing the telehealth services, and also the state medical practice requirements, which may differ from state to state. For example, in Texas, we have specific requirements around informed consent, around patient complaints, and notifying patients of the way those complaints can be made, and uh, around other more clinical uh, elements like prescribing, e-prescribing, uh, the difference between prescribing controlled substances for uh, chronic or acute pain, those sorts of things. There's a lot of opportunity there, but clearly some detail to be cognizant of. Todd, I also want to jump in about some things that our provider clients may want to consider, and that is, again, just sort of the, from a practical standpoint, the rollout and the education on this topic. Because if, as you mentioned, you already have employed physicians who perhaps are compensated based on a work RVU model, and then all of a sudden you're bringing in a telemedicine platform that includes perhaps professional services provided by non-employed, maybe even unaffiliated physicians, suddenly if I'm a pediatrician who's employed, I'm looking at my employer taking away my business without perhaps providing another mechanism for me to make up that compensation. So I think that there are ways in which the business team and the employment group can appropriately develop and implement a plan that brings all of the physicians and the stakeholders together. But that is something to consider from the business perspective is that you may have some angry physicians at first 
not because they are discouraged by the technology itself, but rather by its implications for their personal practice and compensation. Courtney, just to highlight that further, I think it's a great point you're making there. It's really about being very thoughtful about how you integrate and roll out these programs. And it really is, is so imperative with these types of arrangements that you pull together not only the legal team, the HR team perhaps, but even the IT group, as you're mentioning, perhaps your professional staff, your affiliated professional group and their executive team. It's a combined effort and really having, you know, a, a perhaps even a, a sort of SWAT team in the middle of that that can help to align interests for any of those healthcare providers who are payer providers, as we are continuing to find to be the case with many of our clients and others just out there generally in the space. You know, telehealth can be a very powerful tool to help them manage risk among their covered population. But it's an important kind of strategic element that needs to be carefully rolled out among all those different stakeholders that we've raised and mentioned. And I think just to highlight further, the physician group can't be overestimated how important it is to get them on board early on and explain, like, this is another avenue for you to reach out, care for your existing patients, and perhaps expand your patient population. Right. So, Alexis... In your experience, are physicians wary of the introduction of telemedicine? I think they have in the past felt threatened, but I think it's an education point. And I think this is the point that Courtney is highlighting. It's really about making sure they understand what is happening and and really aligning interests so that they're part of the program, not a competitor to the program. Alexis, Todd, Courtney, thank you so much. This has been very insightful, and we look forward to hearing from you again on these topics. For more information on digital healthcare and healthcare information technology law, go to jonesday.com forward slash digital health HIT, or just go to a search engine and enter Jones Day Digital Health. Thanks for listening to Jones Day Talks Healthcare. I'm Karina Van Vliet. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.